Well, welcome to our podcasters roundtable. I want to thank all of you for coming. We really appreciate you uh, spending a couple hours with us tonight. We have a lot to discuss, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. What I'll do is I'll introduce, I have everybody on our panel introduce themselves. I have a short sound clip to play uh, from each member of our panel to further introduce themselves a little bit. I'll start. My name is John Gay. I am a 15-year radio DJ turned podcaster, and I create podcasts for businesses and nonprofits, and occasionally do a podcast myself, and this is the beginning of what my show sounds like. What's up? It's Andy Grammer with JAG. Hi, this is Carly Rae Jepsen, and you're listening to JAG. Hi, everybody. It's Joe Jonas hanging with JAG. This is Heather Knox, Playboy's Miss January 2012. With the hottest JAG I've ever seen. It's B.O.B. Checking in with my homie JAG. So much swag with my homie JAG. It's the JAG Show Podcast. And that's the beginning of my show, and uh, I create, uh, like I said, podcasts for businesses and nonprofits here in the area under my JAG in Detroit company. And with that, I'll turn it over to my friend Shannon and let him introduce himself. Thank you, John. My name is uh, Shannon Kaysen. I've been in podcasting uh, just over 10 years. Um, I've started a number of podcasts. My first podcast is Homemade Stories. It's still going on where I just tell personal stories I did another one with WBZ Chicago. Homie Stories was with WBZ as well, uh, but I did another one with WBZ Chicago called The Trouble with Shannon Kaysen, where I tell stories of people's troubles. Everybody got troubles, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about a new project I'm working on in Detroit. It's called In Good Co. Detroit. And I'm telling the stories of Detroit entrepreneurs. It's part of... Um, it's, it's, it's part of the New Economy Initiative and, 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 and pushed with uh, the Knight Foundation is putting some things behind it. But I'm, I'm able to go out and tell stories of, of new and old businesses in Detroit and really dive into the business owners. Um, the clip he's about to play is one of the owners. He, um, he started, well, he, he's been in business for a while, but he has a shop on the Livernois Avenue of Fashion called 313. And I kind of, I, I grew up in that area, so I'm kind of bringing in my story in with his story, and you can kind of tell that from the clip. So looking forward to talking to everybody. Welcome to In Good Company. Honest stories of the real world journey to becoming an entrepreneur in Detroit and Southeast Michigan. Because some of us are living it right now. I mean like right now. But you're not alone. You're in good company. I'm Shannon Casey. Traveling north on Livernois Ave, passing the University of Detroit Mercy, just before Seven Mile, the businesses on both sides of the road become less sparse and stand closer together until there's a continuing chain of business after business, store after store, beauty salon, restaurant, shoe repair, cleaners, coffee shop, art gallery, and various clothing stores. It's known as the Avenue of Fashion, but keep traveling, pass out or drive. On the west side of the road, there's a sleek silver and black building with pane glass windows and a cool glass garage door. And across the face of the building in tall letters are the words spelled out, no numbers, 313, Detroit's brand name. Talking with fame, his presence is star quality. And it goes along with his alter ego nickname, F-A-M-E, 
for fashion, art, music, and entertainment. As I ask about how he got here, to this historic Detroit Avenue of Fashion location, I'm intrigued that Fame's story actually starts in Buffalo. I was actually born in Buffalo, New York. Uh, my family hmm. moved here to Detroit when uh, I was seven years old. And before we moved, I can remember us visiting from time to time. Mm-hmm. And uh, typically would be in the summertime during the, uh, the African-American festival. I can really, really remember uh, just coming up under the Vidoc at, at, uh, on the lodge there, mm-hmm. seeing those lights. Lights underneath the Vidoc was a big deal yeah. coming from Buffalo. And then we would pull out onto Jefferson, and the streets would be packed. They would just be full and bustling with people and music and the smells of the food. And, and it was just like, to me, that's my first impression of Detroit. And that is Shannon Kaysen, who I met at Podcast Movement last year because I saw a guy had an old English D on his hat, and I thought we and I needed to have start a conversation. Robin? Hi, everyone. Hi. My name is Robin Kinney, and um, I'm a bit different from everyone else up here is that I don't have my own podcast right now, shocker. I actually own a podcast production studio in Southfield with a second location opening up in Midtown this spring um, and have been producing podcasts for the last six years. Um, So I'm really passionate about podcasting. I'm excited to be up here and I'm excited to be um, here with not only other people who are interested in podcasting, who know a lot about podcasting, but with people like yourselves who want to learn more about podcasting because it's certainly a genre that is going to continue to increase. And the more voices that we have in this podcast space, the better. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, John. And this is Robin's promo clip for Motor City Woman. Motor City Woman Radio. We know the only way to guarantee representation in the media is to create it yourself. Motor City Woman places women in the forefront, not only on issues that affect women, but all issues. That's why we are changing the face of broadcasting, because we believe that every woman has a story, a belief, an opinion that matters. And I didn't even say the the name of the studio. That's Motor City Woman Studios. Um, So our impetus was about increasing the number of women in broadcasting and then that spilled over into podcasting. And I'll say this about Robin, we worked together on a project last year and had a client that presented a few challenges here and there when it came to timing and, and, and issues. And Robin and her husband Mike could not have been more accommodating and incredible to work with. So I really did enjoy working with you last year. Becky? Hello, good evening, everybody. Um, I'm just honored to be here. Honestly, I'm learning from all these folks because I'm probably the new the newbie of the crew. So I've been into podcasting for about two years. Uh, I host an arts and entertainment podcast all about the good things happening in Detroit and the amazing people that are doing them uh, called The Debrief. And we also started a podcast production company, myself and my partner, Seth Ressler. It's called Michigan Podcast Production, specifically focused on arts and entertainment organizations as well as business businesses looking to do branded podcasts, which I think we'll all touch on later. 
Um, I'm also a tour guide in the city, so I work for Feet on the Street Tours. I manage the company, and I kind of look at that as uh, live podcasting <laughs> when I give my tours. So I would say overall I'm a Detroit ambassador, and, and I just think I love this city so much and the people in it. So I love being a storyteller, and I think podcasting has just been an incredible medium for me, which, like I said, I really didn't know much about till about two years ago. So I find it exciting, and, and the fact that everybody's wanting to get involved and you can sort of create your own path is, is super cool. So that's me. Thanks for being here. And here is Becky's promo from The Debrief, and I met Becky co-hosting with her on The Debrief, and she's one of my favorite people and knows everybody in the entire city of Detroit. <laughs> Now that's, that's a lie. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Ian DeLisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Meltdown from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hurst. Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts, Beats, and Detroit. If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment scene. We have had some pretty cool guests. So that's <laughs> I love these radio people who do these incredible, incredible uh, uh, takes, and then, then you're going to hear mine that I put together. Uh, so I'm, I'm Joe Salcihai. I have a, a personal finance show called uh, Stacking Benjamins. We, uh, I just moved back to Detroit uh, a year ago, uh, January 1st of last year, packed up my cat, my spouse, and I, and drove 900 miles back to Detroit and riding 900 miles with a cat. Sounds like a Shannon Kaysen story in the making <laughs> right there. Uh, I've been podcasting for eight years, and I've been listening to podcasts almost since the beginning, and I would always talk about my favorite shows. Oh, I love this show. Oh, you listen to this podcast? And my friends kept telling me, they'd say, you got to have a podcast. You got to do a podcast. But in personal finance, Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman were talking, and I didn't want to yell at people about their money. I didn't want to <laughs> be the expert from on high. And then one day, I'm mowing my lawn, and I'm listening to these guys on NPR, Click and Clack, who have Car Talk. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Car Talk. But the cool thing about Car Talk is you can listen to that show, and you won't learn about a car. <laughs> You will learn nothing, but you'll have a great time learning nothing and just laughing your head off. And all of a sudden I go, oh my God, I have an idea. Nobody's doing this in finance. Let's create a show that's designed to teach you absolutely nothing about money, but you have such a great time that you just might learn something. So uh, we created Stacking Benjamins eight years ago and, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Joan. Now we have to mark this as explicit. <laughs> what if there were a podcast that owned the fact that, come on, most podcasters, they're really in their mom's basement. And what if there were a podcast that were about a serious topic, money for one, but it didn't take itself or the topic so seriously. 
I know. How great would that be? Welcome to the Stacking Benjamin Show. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. So here's how it works down here in the basement. Doug kicks things off with his open, and then OG and I talk about some headlines ripped from the current financial press. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. We talk to interesting guests. And on our way down to the basement, it's Gabby Dunn. How are for you? For a about- return trip to the basement. So glad we have her. Jill Schlesinger's here. How are you? I am so great, and I feel very honored since we just, when did we speak? About the, like three, the end of the year? Like we were th- doing year-end? Three weeks ago. So This is unbelievable. I want to come on every three weeks. Y- you should come on like every, you would save the show. We need uh, some. If you like your money talk, less preachy, less jargon, or you're just starting out and you want to jump into the money pool, what a great place. Join us at Stacky Benjamins every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's good, man. And I'll, I'll also mention, I'll say something nice about Joe, because I'm saying something nice about everybody up here. I will say, um, so Podcast Movement is the world's largest podcast convention, and this past summer it was in Orlando, and I went to a uh, panel that Joe led where he talked about how the first two minutes of a podcast are key. And, and if somebody tunes in to your podcast for the first time and they hear, here's what I had for lunch today, and then here's, what, uh, here's how to follow me on social media before you've given them any content of value, they're going to be gone. And so the analogy that Joe made was it's like a James Bond movie that starts with a car chase or a helicopter chase or something like that. Grab people's attention right off the bat. And if any of you came to my podcast presentation in September, I did give you credit, but I did steal that from you. And I used that in my presentation because I thought it was so good. So thank you for that. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, I'm Zach Rosen. Um, I started making audio stories in 2006 as an intern at Detroit Public Radio. Um, right after college, and, and making audio is the only thing uh, I've ever done for for money as a grown-up, which I'm <laughs> so so lucky about. Um, I'm now the the podcast guy at Graham Media. Graham Media owns WDIV um, and a bunch of other TV stations around the country. And like you know, everyone, they are trying to get into the podcast space. So they brought me in to try to work with their reporters and producers and, and think about. Um, their strengths and ways in which uh, TV can can make podcasts. Um, so I've worked on a bunch of different shows. I've produced some shows. I edit some shows. Um, I've hosted shows in the past, but um, the, the clip that I'm going to play now is from my most recent project, which is a six-part um, uh, kind of documentary podcast about uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Um, and we found his body, and I'm going to tell you where it is. Um, <laughs> but you have to stick around till the end of the event. That is a fantastic yeah. tease, Zach. Um, and this is a clip from, I think, the second episode. The host is Steve Gargiola, the, the lineman guy who you've been seeing on the, on the 11 o'clock news for the last 30 years. La Cosa Nostra. That's Italian for our thing, or this thing of ours. It's how members of the Italian mafia sometimes refer to themselves. The roots of La Cosa Nostra stretch back to 19th century Sicily, 
Its members began immigrating to the United States and Canada over 100 years ago. And yes, La Cosa Nostra still exists today. Nowhere near the force that they were in the 50s and 60s and 70s. But uh, they exist in the shadows. They thrive um, in the background like they always have. Journalist Scott Bernstein. They're very immersed in white-collar society. They own a lot of legitimate businesses. They still control most of the illegal gambling. Uh, they still extort and shake down people in their community, mostly Italian business owners and whatnot. Um, they have a role in uh, wholesale narcotics trafficking. Bernstein says the Detroit Mafia families still active today are some of the same families Jimmy Hoffa worked with throughout his career and who may have had something to do with his disappearance. Families like the Tocos, Zarellis, and the Giacalonis. You can trace their involvement in the mob back to pre-Prohibition era Detroit. Now, I'm about to give you a lot of names, and you're not going to remember all of them. But I want you to appreciate the long path carved from today back to the roots of organized crime in Detroit. If you're a Toco or Zarelli or Giacalone, I apologize. <laughs> And, and I will say, Zach, I think Channel 4 is really ahead of the curve in terms of what TV stations are doing with podcasting. I think you guys are doing a great job over there. I think you guys really were making a name for yourselves in the space before, not to talk bad of any of it, before the other TV stations in the market. I think you guys have done a really good job with that. So as you can hear from our panel, there are so many different ways to tell a story, and there are so many different ways to use audio to get your point across and to paint a picture you don't use the same parts of your brain when you're watching something as when you're listening to something because when you're listening, your brain has to paint the picture as opposed to when you're sitting in front of a TV or a computer or a tablet, you just have the picture right in front of you and you veg out. That's what's amazing about storytelling and about audio and you saw it with examples of every clip that you just heard from our entire panel. So I've got a couple general things that I'm gonna throw out to the panel and anybody can kind of jump on these and we'll start our open discussion here. Let me start with asking about the creative process and who can briefly take us through their creative process of how it goes from brain to Apple Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, I'm actually working with a client right now, and the process that we started was we started with just a, a one-hour consultation. So in that consultation, we talked about not only the outline, but I always ask people who want to go into podcasting, what do you want the listener to feel mm. while listening to your podcast? What do you want them to do after listening to your podcast? Because that's really going to lay the foundation for what you talk about, who you talk to, uh, what language you use. You know, Is it more relaxed? Is it instructional? Is it educational? So I'm a big energy person. So it's like, what do you, what do you want to give out so that if a person is just walking and you're in their, their earbuds, do you want them to get motivated? Do you want them to laugh? Do you want them to think? You know, so I always start, is, start at where do you want the listener to feel? And, you know, once you get that foundation down, that's really going to set the tone for everything else. 
I can piggyback off of that. So with our show, we spend a lot of time thinking about who's our audience. And like you said, what do you want them to do? So I can talk all day long about the cool things going on in Detroit, but I want to get people excited to actually go. So I want to talk about restaurants in a way that they're going to want to go have a meal there. And they're going to want to go see a local band that they've never heard of before, just because I'm describing their music. So, um, But we also know that that's only realistic to a point so then we thought there's also an audience that maybe is not going to go do all these things but they like to be in the know and Detroit's trendy and what's going on is trendy so that's okay too conveying that but um and I think uh show prep to to the to get to this point is so super duper important so I didn't really realize that going in. I'm like, hey, I got cool stuff to say. I just hop on the mic and start <laughs> saying it, you know, like, and everybody's going to want to hear it. But that is so not true. And I think the art of podcasting is making it sound natural and fun, but that you have literally planned it all out. Like, you know what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, what you're going to talk about. Like, I do go out a lot, and I am in Detroit a lot, but I also check 250 websites every single week to see like what's hitting what's not what's going on you know it's, it takes time but it's not random what I'm talking about so I would say like if you're thinking of starting a podcast it's important to be passionate about what you're talking about so much so that you want to do that kind of research and you want to get at the best stuff and you want to do the prep work to convey what you want your audience what the action or the feeling is and, and there is a lot that goes into the background of it. One of my early mentors in radio taught me that doing a radio show or now even a podcast is like driving a race car. And I know nothing about NASCAR, but a NASCAR driver does everything he can, everything before the race in the pit is when he does all the work. And when the race starts, all you've got to do is drive the car. And if you want to do a podcast because you like the sound of your own voice and you want to do it as a vanity project, you can. Nobody's going to listen. You're not going to probably sell any ads on it. Um, but if you have something that you want to say and you have a real passion for something, the prep will really come out. And I like what Becky said about how you, it sounds like it's off the cuff and not rehearsed, but the work that goes in beforehand, the more you put in, the more you'll get out. I love the idea of congruency too, that, 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 um, your audience is going to get the right, the right, uh, mood from the way that you talk. Uh, I thought that that was great. The, uh, we th I think a lot about the fabric of our show being a show that comes out three days a week. I, I want the structure to be the same, but I want people to be surprised and delighted every time they turn it on. So I want to make sure Monday doesn't sound like Wednesday and Wednesday doesn't sound like Friday. So I'm worried about diversity. And when I talk about diversity, I mean every type of diversity. I want people that are different ages from different backgrounds telling different stories about different things. And I also, more than I was in the beginning, it's funny because I wasn't kidding earlier when I said I want to be Shannon. It's, uh, you know, being a finance podcast, I feel like there are a lot of us that are trying to get across uh, important points. And I found that when I had that attitude, Nobody really cared about the points, but when we started telling stories about people that had things in their way and here's how they removed those obstacles, the storytelling for us was huge for our podcast. So when people pitch us to be on the show or when we go look for people, which we start about five weeks beforehand because we want to make sure that everything is different than before and the fabric is good, um, I'm looking for these stories that I haven't heard before. I agree with what you said. Outline, 
outline is so important. If it's other, is it podcasters in the room? I don't know. You know, some podcasters here. Raise your hand high, like you like being a podcast. Okay, <laughs> so so outline, and you probably do that. You know, if you don't, it's nothing wrong with it. People. Uh, say I, I do stage stuff and I do stories on stage and they'd be like, oh man, you just sound like you just you just came up and just came out the top of your head. Not at all. I practiced it and I put it all together. But outlining is so important. I talk to so many people about podcasts. Even if you don't write every word, just knowing where you're going next is going to save you so much time. Because even if you edit your podcast... It's like, if you don't know where you're going, you're gonna have all this tape, and having too much tape is is hell on earth. You know, yes, you get what I'm yes. saying? Editing it's hell. Sucks. You're doing a 15 minute podcast with three hours of tape. You know, it's just you're like, oh, my life sucks. You know, so outline is so important, and everybody covered that. Yeah, I guess uh, just. I'll just talk a little bit about uh, narrative podcasts because it's what I, I mostly work on. Um, and I think talking about, you know, how you get from the beginning to the end, with, with Hoffa, for instance, I was just noticing that all the talk about Hoffa was about what happened to his body and, you know, why he got killed and how. Um, and I'm not like a true crime guy. I'm not particularly interested in that stuff. Um, and so I was just thinking, well, what... Like, how did he get to be someone who became the focus of, like, why, do, why, why does America care so much about this guy that disappeared? Why, why are we so fascinated with Hoffa? And I went in not knowing what a Teamster was, you know, not really knowing anything about Hoffa. So I was really interested in kind of inverting the story where we don't even get to the, the disappearance until the last episode. And I was just interested in, in learning about, like, American labor through... And, and American organized crime through through his life. So um, we kind of just told the story chronologically, and, and, and narrative chronology is your friend. So it was it was kind of simple. We started at the beginning when he was this 18 year old um, warehouse worker with a bone to pick with his boss, and we were kind of off and running from there. You just outlined six episodes. Yeah, we made an outline like Shannon said. Yeah. Yeah. We thought maybe it would be eight, but um, we compressed it a bit because um, coming from public radio, I always learn like cut, 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 cut. And that may or may not be the right the right impulse, but um, I'm just so afraid of wasting people's time because there's only 24 hours in the day, and we got a lot of stuff to do. And you know, um, I want to get in and get out, and you know, tell like a, a clean, tight story. Uh, do you begin with I want interviews here, 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 and here, or do the interviews come and then you put them? So yeah, we had. I mean, with Hoffa, it was it was chronology. So like, who can speak to um, uh, Depression era Detroit? Who can speak to Hoffa's early life? Who can talk about like what a teamster is? So we kind of plug the the interview subjects into the questions we're trying to answer with gotcha. with, with each episode. I love that. I think that is uh, the way you put it all together like that is great. I I want to move on to another question. It's kind of been as we discuss this amongst the group. One question that kept coming up as we were planning this out is ways you grow your audience and how do you grow your audience? I'm curious for what tips and tricks and tools that each of you has used to grow your audience. Well, I'll start that out. I, uh, I started podcasting the end of 2009. So it was 2010 is when I kind of got started. podcaster. Yeah, and it'd be, um, I don't even know how 30 people found it, but it'd be about 30 people. <laughs> 
who would listen. Now, creating it, in my mind, I'm like, I want to create something because I think that I'm great. My mama patted me on the back when I was young. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm great. So I wanted to make something when you go back 10 years from now, this is going to be wonderful. And uh, I would come with that mindset. I think that's important because when you start, you're not going to get many listens. So you have to feel like your first episode that you're proud of it because that's going to be still as much as you grow, people are going to go to your first episode and mm -hmm. go back and listen to it because that's just what we do, you know. And um, from that 30, I was so happy when I got to 100, you know. And what I noticed, the, the, the biggest moves were when I went on other shows. So I started working with The Moth. I started telling stories with The Moth, which is an NPR podcast, and I would tell stories with them. I was telling stories with them. They were putting them on their radio show podcast, and I never mentioned my podcast. I never say, hey, mention uh, homemade stories. I do a podcast. I, I just felt like that was wrong to do or something, you know, but at some point somebody said, hey, man, you do a good podcast, mention it. So Snap Judgment was running one of my stories, and I remember I was sitting next to Glenn Washington, and I was like, hey, man, can you mention homemade stories? He was like, yeah, why, why didn't you tell, I didn't know you had a podcast. I'm like, yeah, just mention it. He mentioned it. The next month, I had 20,000 listeners. Wow. 20,000 downloads. From 100 now, from 100 the month before? From from that that month. Yeah, but, they but they played it they played 100 to They played it on um it was I think 2013. They played it as their year long, you know, I was I told a good story and it was like this is our best story of the year or whatever. And he has a podcast called Homemade Stories and then the next month 20,000 new listeners was on my podcast. Now he did something, because you'll find from podcasters and radio shows and all that, they need content. They got to, uh, this American Life, they got to come out every mo every week or whatever. They hurting on content. Right now, somebody's scrambling around trying to figure out what the story's going to be. So for Snap Judgment, I did a real good episode, and they were like, hey, Shannon, we're going to use this whole episode as our podcast. And I'm like, okay, I ain't got a problem with it. Y'all gonna pay me for it? Okay, and I get, you know. So they did that, and they put it up as a podcast. Home, Shannon Kaysen presents homemade stories on Snap. In the next month, it was 100,000 new listeners because they played the whole episode. So the one thing is, it's just, I found growing my audience has been in joining the audience of bigger podcasts or just other podcasts in general. It don't even have to be bigger. Because if you if you go on other podcasts, stand out. Like, want to stand out. If I'm on stage, I, I want you to be like, who is that guy? Or who is that? Even in the panel right now, I want somebody to come up and say, hey, I really like the things you were saying. You know, so want to stand out when you go on the podcast, and then people are going to listen. They'll connect to a piece of you and say, I want to I wanna, I wanna see what that homemade story is that In Good Company is talking about. You know, so that's what I found where I've got the biggest, not, not in, I mean, do your flyers and your all that kind of stuff. But going on other shows because it's a podcast listener listening. I want to emphasize the first thing Shannon said though about because I remember the glee. Um, well, I have I'm reminded of it a lot. We have a, a, a frequent contributor to our show who sends me this whenever I get down. She's been on our show since the beginning. 
Paula sends me this email from maybe week number four of our show. And I am delighted, and I can still read the delight in my words about how we went from 66 listeners to 69 listeners. <laughs> and I'm ecstatic. And still, by the way, I, I, I think of 69, 70 people in this room, like that's a, that's a big number of people that are listening to me, right? That's cool. And now we have, you know, 35,000 listeners a show, and I don't even know what that number means. I have no idea. But 70, I know that number. So... I want to echo that part, and maybe in more of a Gordon Ramsay kind of way, make, make a great show. Like, the way to grow your show is to make a great show that you're proud of and that people want to share with their friends. My goal is to make a finance show like a Netflix show that I binge. I get done with the Netflix show, and I go, oh, God, I got to watch the next one. I want to try to take a finance show and make it bingeable. Figure that, I, I haven't figured it out yet, but that's my goal. I also want to echo something that uh, I'm a big fan of a guy named Roman Mars, who has a great podcast called 99% Invisible. You want to make a show you love, but you're also looking for continuous improvement. I, uh, Roman said this, and I'll just echo it. I am embarrassed of the shows that I made a year ago, and my goal is to be embarrassed about the shows I'm making today, a year from now. You should be. Yeah. And just, just like a, a, um, a tactical thing, getting on people's show, it's, it's easier said than done. I mean, that story Shannon told on Snap Judgment is a killer. That's the one from when you worked at the bank, right? It's very good. Yeah, 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 that's like the best story ever. And we all don't have Shannon's um, lived experience. but We don't all go steal money and go to... Can't give it away. Don't give it away. Um, go back and listen to the podcast. But, but, the, but the, the idea is you can reach out to podcasts that have a similar audience to you and that are similar in size. So if you're making a show about uh, classical music that has 50 listeners, you reach out to the, you know, the flute soloist guy who also has a, has a show and you say, I will promote your show for 30 seconds at the beginning of my next episode if you do the same for me. So it's this free organic trade um, and you don't need to pay, you know, and, and it's kind of like, you're not trying to get on This American Life, you're trying to get on this other small show and you build you build slowly like that. So it's reaching out to like-minded and like audience podcasts and just like, hey, let's help each other out. Well, there's stats behind that too, sorry. Um, that uh, people who listen to, they don't listen to one podcast. If they're into podcasting, they're going to listen to 10 a week. So, uh, and most people find out about their next podcast by their current podcast. So we do promo swaps too. And I would just add, I agree with all these. And uh, the other thing that's been tremendously successful for us is when the guests we have on the show share uh, the episode that they were on. And usually they've had a lot of fun with us and they want to share it, but you make it super easy for them. So here's the link. Go throw it up on your... right away. We give them an embed code, which is very easy that they can embed on their website. Um, you know, we had Josh Mallerman on like a few weeks after, you know, Netflix, the Bird Box movie went nuts. So I was like, please, Josh. <laughs> and, you know, he's got these tremendous amount of followers. And it was a really good interview. And, and it was because he got to talk about some different things. He's an incredible band called The High Strong. I'm like, I want to hear 
equal amounts about your music. So he was happy to share because it was something different. He's been in tremendous amounts of publications, but he was motivated to share it. And then it, you know, the downloads for his episode were like we had never seen before. So if you can get other people on your team, so to speak, in whatever format that looks like, um, that's huge because you can have your little audience and put out content all the time. You know, I was happy when our Instagram got to a thousand. I was like, oh, wow, you know? But if people that have, you know, 12,000 Instagram followers share my stuff, then so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in, and I'm sorry, Robin, I just wanna say this real quick, is that um, coming from a radio background, there is a finite Number number of pieces in the pie. So when I worked at Channel Nine Five Five, if they weren't looking, if they weren't listening to me, they were listening to Ninety Eight Seven. And then when I worked at Ninety Eight Seven, if they weren't listening to me, they were listening to Nine Five Five. So it was it was a zero sum game. You take them from one and go to another. But with podcasting, first of all, it's an incredibly cooperative space. I've got love for everybody on this panel, and one podcast will lead to another podcast will lead to another podcast and that's what i love about the space is how cooperative it is i'm sorry robin go ahead well i was coming from a different angle so my background is in the nonprofit sector um, i've worked most of my career in various nonprofits across the city of detroit and primarily helping businesses along different business corridors in the city of detroit so i'm all about community and finding that community um, although I agree with everything that was said, you have to start somewhere. So I think when you have a niche podcast, you got to know your stuff, but then you have to find the people who will be interested in learning and, and listening to that stuff. And so now we have so many different groups and, you know, you have social media, but don't overlook coming out to events like these, going to different uh, community gatherings. You know, everyone is so active you know, in Metro Detroit. So you can find a local meetup, for example, in, on the topic that your podcast is about. So don't overlook those types of things when you're building an audience. And I would say to build that community before you launch the podcast. So you're out and about, you're seen as the person who's always talking about art, who's always talking about music. And then now, hopefully you've been gathering some email addresses. You send out an email, hey, I'm launching a podcast. Would love for you guys to listen in. And so you've, you've built that relationship, you know. So then when that podcast drop, boom, at least you have that initial amount of listeners, and then you can start doing all of the other suggestions that were presented. I think that's a really good point, the human connection, too. I'm super shameless. Like, I go to a ton <laughs> of concerts, and I just have a pocket full of cards, and if I start chatting with somebody and they like live music like rain. I do, it's like, hey, <laughs> But, but, but yeah, it's, 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 and even if that is one listener, like that's cool because I actually met them and they want to engage. So I think that's a really good point that don't lose that human connection because audio is so intimate. And what, what did we do when he, I was the first person to put my, look, my little stickers down there. I was like, I'll put my stickers because there's a bunch of podcast <laughs> listeners. I'm gonna put my stickers down. You said I was oh, like, oh, well, here's my stickers too. Because that's just how your mind thinks. You're like, okay, I'm gonna stick that right there. And I get people. They'll say, hey, I was in such and such bar, and I saw, I saw your sticker. And I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I stick it everywhere. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if, if it's meant to stick stuff. I was using you know? a restroom. I won't stick it in the restroom. <laughs> Zach, I want to ask you, because you have the built-in megaphone of a television station, how you've navigated those waters in growing the shows. It kind of works. 
it only kind of works. Okay. Like you'd think, okay, Channel Four uh, has you know, I don't know, tens of thousands of people watching the nightly news every night. So if we tell them to subscribe to the podcast, it's going to directly translate. It's not true. Um, people that that watch the eleven o'clock news don't necessarily listen to podcasts. There's there's a sliver in the Venn diagram, but it's not the same <laughs> folks. Um, uh, about fifteen percent of the listeners. Um, of the Shattered, which is the umbrella show that the Hoffa season went into. Only 15% come from Michigan. Um, and so I think uh, the TV station was confident in that, all right, we have this megaphone. All we have to do is tell people about it. But I mean, you know, I mean, people in this room or at least like, you know, your parents or your aunt, like telling them, Asking them if they listen to a podcast, they're like, "No, I haven't watched it. How do I buy the DVD?" You know, it's like it's it's still the discovery thing is still so is still so challenging. So you know, we've ran spots on the air like, you know, this is how you go into your phone, you hit this button, you hit subscribe. Even with that, it's marginally successful. Well, isn't it now only a third of the population has listened to podcasts? Still, yeah. 51% of Americans over the age of 12 have listened to at least one podcast, and 70% at least have some familiarity with the term. So we've crossed the 50% threshold, but there's certainly a long way to go. I think think you make a good point, Zach. You said 15% of your listeners to your podcast. One five. 15% Fifteen yeah, percent yeah. are from Michigan, yeah. and it's a Michigan show. Yeah. That that really stuck out to me right there, you know, because a lot of people listen to homemade stories. They listen to come back to Detroit, or they listen to they hear about Detroit or something, and they they want to feel Detroit. So that's that just I wrote that down because even as I promote a new podcast in Good Co Detroit, a lot of people may be from outside of Detroit. It may be a thing where visitors listen to it a lot more, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to feel the city and to get a get an idea of the scene. So, that but true, that makes yeah. a good point because you you do a Detroit show. You're yeah, working for to... a Detroit news station, and it's a but it, I mean it's a national look at. I mean, if you're doing Hoffa and those things, but at the same time, not looking at it as just. I mean, debrief may be that. Debrief may be people who it's outside local, of Detroit. It's local, but we have um, pitched it to hotels, and some have added it on. Some of the hotels have added it on their website. So if somebody's coming for the weekend, I mean, our show is super topical and super timely. So we talk about what's going on this weekend, but it, it is there. And some hotels are like, "Yeah, I can just point somebody to that that's coming in for the weekend, and here's that's a few awesome. things to do." So that's a great idea for a hotel. Yeah, there's lots of ideas that you know, and you never know what's going to stick. And that's true. What have been the biggest challenges either facing you personally in your podcasting work or that you think is facing podcasting in general? Because I, I hear this every day, all day. I have so many. Right now, we probably were, we've produced maybe around 50 podcasts over the years. And it's not about the content. It's not about what equipment to, to purchase. It's about, you know, the getting discovered, you know, having people find me. And um, that's the number one issue that I hear a lot is, gosh, I have this great podcast, but I have these 10 consistent downloads. You know, how do I, you know, get over that hump? And I think there's a lot of platforms who that are that recognize that. 
And so they're putting all these different systems into place that will suggest a podcast, for example. So if you're listening to one podcast, it'll suggest a podcast that maybe is lesser known, but similar content. And so I think that's really going to help people who are just getting into it or have been doing it for a while, but just haven't had that, that break to reach a larger audience. But another aspect is don't assume that you need to have a large audience to be successful. Mm-hmm. So being upfront and intentional with what your goal is, is important. Like, you know, am I trying to translate this into a TV show one day? Um, am I trying to brand this to sell a product or service? Or do I just want to be a personality and I just want to make some connections around the world and we're going to have conversations on Twitter? You know, so being upfront with what the what is the end goal? What do you want to accomplish in the podcast before you dive in? But right now, the number one question that we get is, you know, just reaching a, a larger audience and making sure that people can find me because it can be overwhelming when you say find us on your favorite or wherever. What's the tagline? Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. That's so broad. You know, and so it's like, okay, so how do I get all these people who I think would be great listeners to actually find me and listen and not necessarily people who know me or related to me? I thought you made it, it the the it doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter, but it's it's being intentional. I was talking to somebody at Podcast Movement. They had a small podcast audience, mm-hmm. but he worked in um, in financial management or wealth management, and he told me his podcast made him a half million dollars. Wow. But he didn't have many. You know, he didn't have a huge audience, a but he had the right audience. You know, which he was bringing over clients from from something else. So, so thinking of it in that sense, I know it may be people in in, in niche careers or, or careers that that can can use podcasting to grow their um, their their credibility, their their authority, and all those things. So, so that's something to think of as well. The big issue, you know, we're trying to reach a wide national audience, and the big issue that I see isn't that there's so many, it's that the companies on the top are putting more and more and more resources and money into theirs to make them very, they're making these very expensive shows and putting big money behind them and trying to compete for somebody's ear when they're doing that makes it more difficult for an indie podcaster. So, and then I look at uh, some statistics we saw at Podcast Movement, which is a great conference, by the way. If you haven't gone to that, that's a, I love learning at Podcast Movement. I also go to a conference called PodFest, which is a lot of indie podcasters, and I do a lot of networking, kind of solving these same problems we're talking about now. But, um, but what I've, what, what frustrates me is is seeing that the new podcast listeners, according to stats we saw at Podcast Movement, are coming from Spotify. Uh, Spotify is not owning the space. More people are coming from iTunes still and Apple, but the biggest gains by far from Spotify. And Spotify mm-hmm. wants the space. And the only thing negative about that is that what the statistics show is that people that listen on Spotify are listening to podcasts because they're following a personality or they're following the big brand. So the indie podcaster to get to that person. My problem is I don't have Gimlet's money to make a show or NPR's money to make a show of that 
that depth and I don't and I'm not Joe Rogan right nice. so because I don't have his built-in audience I have to try to navigate that which means marketing this idea of finding your audience becomes more important every day I'm, I'm gonna bring the wireless microphone over there because we are recording this for a podcast Hi, a big microphone um, now how do you make money Doing a podcast. I mean, that's the basic oh, for, I think, a lot of people oh, here. And stack, you know, how do we stack our Benjamins? I click my heels together three times. No plate, no. I think one of the best ways is it's a, it's a part, your podcast is part of a larger marketing strategy of some sort, especially when we talk of branded podcasting, but the whole field. In and of itself, it's very hard to make money off your podcast. So number one, do it because you love it. <laughs> but number two, do it because it fits into something bigger. Like for me, for instance, I have a tour company. I have a podcast. They talk about a lot of the same things. When I have a tour group of 50 people from the suburbs, I can tell them about my podcast and, and they might listen, learn things. And then on the podcast, I advertise my tours. Um, you know, if you're an author or you want to write a book, you know, it's it, it often the best way is to have it work with something else. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges coming up. Even the ads now that you can get, that's going to change. And they want to know, you know, advertisers want to know how many downloads you have in order to say if they want to buy ad space. So, and I think that model, some of you I'm sure can speak better to the statistics than me, but that model's going to change too. So. What kind of advertising? Personally, for the debrief, we've chosen not to have any because we cover everything in Detroit and we don't want to appear biased. Um, we are critics and recommenders, so I don't want to have certain... Restaurants or local companies um, be swaying. You know, I want to be seen as an independent source. So um, we've chosen it. Our debrief is often our lead generator for Michigan podcast productions. So that's why we started that company because so many people that came in were wanting to do their own podcast and asking for advice. We're like, well, why don't we turn this into a company? And then um, it works like that. So, so how much do you charge for? Well, we can talk off the mic, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it really, I can't, it's not an easy answer because as you've probably already picked up, there's so many different kinds of shows. Like ours is heavily produced with many segments and pieces to it and field interviews and things like that. Um, a real popular type of podcast is a one-on-one -on -one interview podcast. That's the cheapest. Um, but if you're like This American Life, you know, that's a high production value or the Hoffa podcast, you know, you're getting into much more. So it's not an easy, but there's definitely a menu and um, there's all, you know, you can go to Robin's place and you know what you want to do and just rent her studio time. Or she can consult you on some things. You can come to us and we can tell you everything from show concept to host um, consulting to the marketing plan. So there's all different pieces to it. Our show is all advertiser supported. We have uh, three advertisers per show. Um, it w it's difficult disguising those and making them entertaining enough that it's not friction. So we spend a lot of time on that. We try to make them funny and we also try to make them relevant. I'll give you an example. Last year, this time, there was a new uh, uh, James Connolly book out called Murder Book. And um, so I would, I would try to pick a fight with my co-host, and then I'd say, I think OG wants to murder me. Oh, by the way, this show is brought to you by Murder Book. And then we go, just these horrible transitions. So, 
so we work on that, but, but, but it is the worst way to do it. It is, uh, Becky's exactly right. I was told that, by the way, originally. Doing, get, being paid based on the number of listeners is the worst way to do it. But my, my thought process was, if I can learn to do it the worst way, and everything else falls apart, <laughs> and I get good at this, then I can always fall back on it. And it's just always worked for us that my main goal is to grow our audience, and if we grow our audience, I get paid more. So. Two quick follow-up points on that is, you know, what Becky said about branded podcasts. With my company, I do something similar that they do with Michigan Podcast Productions. And we're ask, I'm asking a company to spend money with me to create their show. And they're asking about ROI and how much money I'm going to make off this. But it's really a piece of their marketing that in turn with social media and newsletters and whatever else they're doing for their marketing, it all really ties together. Um, and I also tell people that, you know, you may not have a million downloads. You may not have the numbers of some of these amazing people up here as far as downloads, but you have a dedicated audience. I would rather have 10 podcast listeners than a thousand likes on Instagram because those 10 podcast listeners are engaged with your content and you have their attention. And again, I'm drawing my radio background here. When it comes to commercials and advertising, these live reads, and like Joe was just saying, if you make it part of the show and make it part of the personalities. For example, I listen to Pod Save America. Anybody here listen to Pod Save America? It's a political show. And the guys joke around in the in their commercial copy. They're, they make fun of ZipRecruiter. So ZipRecruiter is their title sponsor. And they had a running joke for like a month where one of the lines in the ZipRecruiter copy they had to read was, ZipRecruiter has a full suite of tools. And they laughed at the line, suite of tools, every time. Yeah, I'm a tool, you're a tool. And they went back and forth about it, but it was their brand. It was their personalities and it became part of the show. And as a listener, it made me less likely to skip over it. And if you have a small podcast, and I'll use the basket weaving example, if you have a podcast about basket weaving, you might have 20 listeners, but I'll bet you there's a basket company out there that really wants to talk to those 20 people who are really into basket weaving. Yeah, it's, 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 it's salesmanship in the money side. I, I, six years, I've had Lagunitas Brewing Company as my, um, my sponsor. I don't have huge amounts of numbers, but I do the same thing. People don't skip my ass because I have fun with them. I talk about I've heard them. drinking and falling, you know, falling off the stool with my in Lagunitas beer. Get the like, no, just play. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, 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 it's that. Is, 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 is putting yourself out there to talk to, if you're a basket weaver podcast, talk to a basket company. But then I came at it with a career mindset as well with podcasting and thinking about the things of, of consulting. So I've consulted with, I've worked with Spotify mm -hmm. on some podcasts. It's a podcast called Mogul I worked with. It's, and I know Zach does a lot of that as well. I've done some um, with Uninterrupted, which is a, um, a sports-related company. So just having the, the, the mindset that is more than just the sponsor. And if you learn things through podcasting, for me, a storytelling as well. I can pass those things on and create a career for from it. Even what I'm doing with um, with uh, New Economy Initiative is 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 something that they have listened to the podcast. So I've I've had um, um, expertise in the podcast field. So I'm able to to take that take that to other other opportunities. So so thinking of it in that sense, sometimes you can make money and you can make a career out of it rather than just the numbers, the exact numbers. But uh, but if you get numbers, you can make money. But it's 
it's not really that much. Even even I mean, you got to make a lot of money. You got to make a lot ways. of numbers to get, to yeah, get real good money. I wouldn't you know, go so into, you got to look at it from other perspectives. I wouldn't yeah. go into it for the big podcasting money. No, not at all. No, <laughs> get all that money. It opens other doors, leads to other opportunities. Yeah. I, I will po- say this though: podcasting, uh, I think, is going to be one billion dollars in revenue in 2020. But a lot, but. A lot of that, like you said, is the big boys. Yeah. It's not, I'm sorry, Joel, you mean to cut you off? Go yeah. ahead. No, I was just going to say, too, sometimes, you know, sponsors usually in a show are friction that you're trying to get around and get rid of. So you're, you make it fun so your, so your sponsor stays and your listener stays. And, um, but sometimes the right sponsor can help you. I, early, early on, I'm at this conference, this financial conference, and I'm walking around and I see Fidelity Investments. And if you're in, know anything about finance, Fidelity Investments is a huge name. We're nobody. My show's maybe 12 months old. And uh, I walked by and I just said, oh, what the hell? And I walked over there and I said to the guy, I'm like, hey, I have a, I get this podcast called Stacking Benjamins. The guy goes, oh, Tell me more. And he's just kind of bored and using me because he's been staying at the booth all day. (laughs) And so I tell him a little bit about it. And he goes, oh, that sounds interesting. And I said, well, yeah, you guys, you know, you're serious about money. I'm a former financial planner. My my partner's a working CFP. We kind of talk the same language Fidelity does. I tried to build as much bridge as possible. And then I said, so, you know, I thought maybe you'd want to sponsor the show. And the guy looked at me and goes, how much money are you looking for? Wow. And at that moment, by the way, I had, you know, you got the devil on your shoulder and the angel on the other one. One side says, this is Fidelity Investments. Cha-ching. The other side said, I'm a little tiny show. What can I get out of this? So I said to him, I go, well, you know, we do. We, at that time, we were once a week instead of three times a week. And I said, $100 a month. And the guy, and he goes, and he goes, $100 a month. And I go, yeah. He goes, well, I got that money for bloggers. Yeah. So he signs up for four months. But I tell you, the payoff is I'm a little tiny show with almost nobody listening. And for four months, I got to say, Stacking Benjamins is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Wow. Bam. And it was, and, and we start getting all these emails. You guys are big time. You guys must be huge because Fidelity loves you. No, it's because I charge them nothing. So and your listeners don't know how many downloads they you had have. no idea that it was both of them loved it. <laughs> I agree with boldness to ask, just ask, yeah, you know, ask you what can you, you can get to know. It's about same relationships. With, same with guests. I would say I've just, you just ask. Yeah. You'd be surprised. I mean, people are excited about podcasting. I'll just make a quick point. It's not another popular way to, to make money is uh, direct listener support. So advertising is one way. Another way is to ask your listeners if, if they believe in you, I give Shannon my money every month. Um, you should, if, if you're interested in the direct listener support model, obviously pay attention to how public radio does it. They invented it. But there's this amazing essay by Kevin Kelly, who uh, started Wired Magazine. It's called 1,000 True Fans. And he kind of talks about how you, you don't need a million people. If you can get 1,000 people who care about you and will just buy whatever you, know, you are offering, whether it's a t-shirt or a podcast or whatever, you can make 60 grand a year with 1,000 true fans. Making a true fan is very difficult, but um, it's a lot less overwhelming to think about courting 1,000 people than a million people. So direct listener support. I like, that appro- I like that approach a lot because you're focusing on your current listener and how do I give them more value? 
And I think that's how, I mean, that's ultimately how you grow your show the best anyway, is if, if I give them so much value that they talk about me all the time and they're a huge fan. So that's what I loved when I read that. that that's a great article. Yeah. We only got a few minutes left. I want to make sure we leave enough time for audience questions. Anybody else in the audience have a question? We've got a couple other topics we can go to. We'll come on to the back here. Just asking a question about um, the value. That's, that's more of my realm. You want to secure the value with your listeners and your fans. So Patreon, you guys have any idea of dealing with Patreon with um, any direct listeners? You guys have any info on that? Yeah, I run a show that's on Patreon. Um, first of all, you should have a show, because what a voice. <laughs> yeah. Great voice. That's good. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I have a show... Uh, <laughs> I have a show on Patreon hosted by these two amazing sisters. They're activists and science fiction writers. It's called How to Survive the End of the World. And we have about 10,000 listeners uh, per episode. We don't have any ads, but we have about, uh, I think, between three and 400 monthly patrons. So people that really just will listen to whatever these sisters say. Um, and that's a pretty good conversion rate. You know, I don't know what percentage that is, but... Um, and so it's great, but it, it's really about getting buy-in from your listeners. Um, but if you get, you know, five dollars, four hundred people giving you five bucks a month, it's like, you know, twenty-five grand a year or something. So it's 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 viable if you have people that really care about you. Um, so if you have an audience from some other realm of your life going into your podcast, if you're an author or you know a CEO or celebrity, like that's a pretty viable way to do it. You want to tell you the name of your podcast? Bring it. Bliss Street. And you're the host? All right, I'm in. There you go. You do Patreon? No, I don't. I'm just starting with Anchor. What's been great about Anchor is it's really opened the door and accessibility. It's got a lot, made it a lot easier for a lot more people to do it. And you can record it on Anchor for next to nothing or nothing on your phone, but you can also, uh, but you can also buy a microphone for... 50 bucks, a really good microphone for 50 bucks. You can spend 400 on a microphone if you want, but you can get a great sounding microphone and plug into your computer for 50 bucks. Just a pointer for everybody here, Anchor is free. Anchor is free to use on your phone. Yep, I'm sure we hear that on the recording of our podcast of, of this episode. Any other audience questions before we wrap up? Is there a magic frequency number? How often you need to publish? I don't know that it's so much that, but consistency yes. is really key and huge. You know, you want people to know what to rely on. So whether you're once a week, once a month, you know, keep churning out the content. Now, that being said, you can also do uh, a, a season, you know, a pilot season, say, and, and record eight episodes and then put them out. Um, so there's different ways to do it, but you, you don't want to be like, here's my first podcast I'm super excited about, and then like three months later, you know, that you just don't build any momentum. So um, we're, we're moving to uh, an almost daily show, 20 minutes a day, um, because that fits our format. But um, others, you know, I think once a week is, is great if you can. But I think really you don't have to think about it like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm the Jimmy Fallon show, and i got to be on like every night or people won't tune in. You know, you don't have to think about it that way, but some level of consistency and expectation. There's a term called pod fading in the podcast industry, and what pod fading is is a lot of shows after generally about seven or eight episodes, and I'm sure, Robin, you've seen some of your clients too, like 
they kind it, it becomes a another thing on the to-do list and people tend to lose their passion for it. So when I work with a business or a nonprofit to create a podcast, I sign them up for one season. That season might be three episodes, it might be 10 episodes, it might be 15 episodes. And we say, okay, we're gonna do a finite amount of episodes, we're gonna map this out and again, all the planning and plan what's gonna be in each episode. And we get to the end of season one, if it's great and you wanna keep doing it, fantastic, we'll keep going. But I don't want a potential client to think about it in terms of, oh, every Tuesday I gotta go pick up the kids from soccer practice and then I gotta go home and I gotta record the podcast because the quality's gonna suffer. So think about it as like a trial run. And again, Anchor is a great way to sort of dip your feet into it if you don't wanna commit any money to it because you're not sure how, how long you're gonna do it. And then go from there and see if it was something that you felt you connected with and have a passion for, want to do more of. And if not, no harm, no foul. Yeah, yep. and learn a lot without that week-to-week obligation. Yeah. You can learn from that first season and change things. I'm glad you brought that up because I think the reason that there are more aspiring podcasters than podcasters <laughs> who actually podcast is because sometimes you can get caught up in the rules. There are no <laughs> rules. You set the frequency, you set what equipment, you set whether you're indoors or outdoors. You can be on a bus, you can be, you know, in a Winnebago, you can be wherever. And I think that that's what stalls a lot of people is, okay, I need to do all of my research on the right microphone and the right mixer. Okay, wait a minute, what is a mixer? Let me look through, look through. And then months go by and you're like, I'm not sure if I wanna do this anymore. Then you circle back six months later. But in true podcasting fashion, what I love about podcasting is that I call it the great equalizer. And it's something that anyone who has a passion about anything can share their voice with the world, truly. Um, so don't let what everyone else is doing stop you because you can, you know, create the, well, we're going to be on, you know, every day for five minutes. We're going to be on once a week for an hour and a half. Like, yeah, who cares? Just whenever, whatever you want to talk about for however long you want to talk about, if you know your audience and you know that they're going to be engaged and you have the content to support that level of engagement, go for it. The one thing I regret, to your point, is the year I procrastinated and, yeah. and didn't do it. I thought the idea wasn't perfect. You just just get started. And, and we started slow. My favorite podcast comes out once a month. I mean, and I'm so excited. I mean, it, it is not often. It's called Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. She's a flight attendant. Her name's not really Betty. Uh, she, she carries around a little recording device and talks to other flight attendants about the strange crap that happens on planes. Oh my God, I have to hear that. Yeah, I it know, is, I want to like, okay. It's so awesome. I mean, and it's like spinning a roulette wheel. Some, some it, they're not that great, and other ones, it, the jackpot. But it's enough to keep you it's, coming back. It, every time I'm like, is this one the jackpot? Because the stories are so bad. What's that? It's called Betty, Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. Oh. I will say though, have pay. Oh, perfect. We have a flight attendant in the audience. All right. Are you Betty? Are you... <laughs> She's Betty tonight. Oh my gosh, the real Betty. I will say though, pay some good level of attention to sound quality though, because um, 
yes, definitely get started, go do it, but, but at least try to get that because if it sounds bad or you're always recording in a coffee shop and it's all blah, 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 and clinking, and blah, people, you, you can't. If like, you think I, back to when YouTube first came out, yeah. and, oh my God, there's videos on the internet. This is crazy. I can watch anything. And now if the video quality is bad, are you going to keep watching it? No. You abandon and, it quickly. And yeah. you can, in the two things that will make me tune out of a, a podcast the fastest, one, bad audio, and two, not telling what you're going to do at the beginning. Hey, so here's my social. So he, he found this great new place out of breakfast. So what you have for breakfast today? And so on and so on drives me absolutely bonkers. Yeah. We only Introduce yourself. And, talk, and tell me doing. what you're going to do. Yeah. Tell me what you're going to do and then do it. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left. Any closing thoughts for either predictions for 2020 or just general podcasting thoughts from our panel? Now I'm putting you guys on the spot. Predictions for 2020. Well... Gosh, I just, I'm also a contributor for the Podcast Business Journal, and we just um, did a, I think they called it the... The Crystal Ball Series. Crystal Ball yep. Series, and they asked me this same question, what are my predictions for 2020? And I think I was I was typing that out during my um, holiday vacation, so I'm going to think of what I think now the prediction for 2020 is. I don't even remember what I wrote, but... I think in general, you're going to start to see more people who are not only interested in podcasting, but people who are listening to podcasting. One trend that I saw kind of go up and kind of come down initially when we thought of podcasting, people were listening to them while doing something else or in route. They're commuting, they're driving, and now we're seeing that people are listening to podcasts at home. I listen to the majority of my podcasts in my kitchen, you know, um, Alexa, play, blah, 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 blah. And so you're starting to see more of that. And so I'm really interested in seeing how the way we listen to podcasts, how that has changed and how that's going to change like user activity, because now we're kind of stationary. We're not necessarily moving somewhere. Any other closing thoughts in general on podcasting or thoughts for 2020 as we get into the new year? Don't, yeah, I mean, I'm, make your thing. Yeah, if, I mean, there's it. no reason not to. It, even if it sucks, make it, and then the yeah. next episode will be better than the previous one. So if you're, yeah. if you're wavering, just do it. It's fun. It's really fun. And I think podcasting is such a creative process in and of, it, of itself and then can expose so many others. So I would, um, like you really turned me on to the podcasts that are about creative process. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not a visual artist or a musician, I would encourage you seeking out some of those because podcasting is a lot more creative than I actually knew going in. So that whole process of just like idea formation to conception is really cool. So uh, look up some of those. On that note, one of my favorite books, this uh, uh, guy's name is Austin Kleon, has a great book called Steal Like an Artist. Um, I love, what I love is learning people from like all these guys. I love like even listen, listening to Zach's podcast clip just at the start of this. He's in a completely different field than I am, but just the way you layer the music underneath and then it went away when you made the big point. Like I'm a finance podcaster. I want to incorporate that in our show, you know, so, so. Yeah, so don't 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 just try to learn from people in your field. Learn from people in related fields because it really makes it more fun, and I think you bring more to your audience that way. And in your point, Robin, the Bluetooth, like I, I had an earpods. I listen to more podcasts because I got that because it's just easy to listen to. But then um, 
then it depends on what you do. Like I, I like writing. So you can test ideas in podcasting. Like if you screenwriter or if you're a, a short story writer or, or those things. I test a lot of ideas in podcasting and I've, I've had a few um, stories option just through the podcast. And you'll find that a lot now too. Um, it'll be movies that may have started in podcasts. There'll be TV shows. I think Apple TV is, has a podcast. I mean, a TV show now on the Apple uh, Plus thing. That's a podcast. I haven't watched it yet, but she's a podcaster. But uh, Olivia Dave or Spencer or whatever her name is. I don't know. One of them people. She was in the help. But the thing is, you may use podcasting to branch into other things. It, which which well, YouTube has a, done as well. A trend, yeah. Like Homecoming, that show was originally a podcast. I think that's becoming a bigger trend, right? Like lore. The, the stories, yeah. Yeah, lore this, and, yeah, becoming content in other ways. Detroit is hot. Detroit is buzzworthy. So is podcasting. And if you are a podcaster in Detroit, you've you've got cred already because these are two things that people are talking about a lot. And so that should ha that's a start. And the hardest part about starting a podcast is what they call AFDI, which is actually bleeping doing it. <laughs> and so AFDI, if you're thinking about doing it, actually do it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to welcome Stephanie up here for a couple of announcements, and thank you all so much. These are an incredible group of podcasters here in Detroit, in Metro Detroit. I can't thank them all enough for taking time out of their busy schedules to come, and it's such a cooperative space. I'm sure that I speak for all of us when I say, please, if you're interested or have questions, get cards, talk to us afterwards, because we are all so passionate about this space, and we could talk about it for another four hours. So, Stephanie? Well, thank you, John, for moderating tonight. I appreciate that. And thank you all also. Uh, Zach is actually one of our podcast coaches here at the Detroit Writing Room. So if you want to sign up with Zach for one-on-one -on -one feedback on a show you're working on or want to bounce ideas off of him, just a little plug for you. Um, but thank you all for coming out tonight. I'm Stephanie. I'm the founder of the Detroit Writing Room. And uh, this is our first speaker series. So we are now launching this for 2020. Each month we'll feature a different topic, different panelists. Next month, come on back, February 11th, we have children's book authors and illustrators. Devin Skillian of Local 4 News is going to be moderating that. Fun fact, he has written 19 children's books. Anyone know that? Because I did not know that when I reached out to him. Um, and then in March, we're going to have women in wine. So women winemakers, business owners, sommeliers, they're obviously going to be bringing their wine for you to taste. Um, and we're looking at some Metro Detroit influencers for April. So we have a whole lot of events here at the Detroit Writing Room, writing workshops, book talks. We've got open mic night on Monday. Uh, Saturday, we've got a coffee tasting. So we do a little bit of everything. And we're also a workspace if you need a quiet distraction-free space to work or perhaps record a podcast we do have a conference room so thank you guys for coming out tonight thank you again to the panelists feel free to stick around enjoy some remaining wine and uh, meet these lovely people so thank you thank you